So who likes new things? Anybody like new things? I like new things. We, yeah, sure, of course. We all love new things, right? New, shiny, bigger, better. You know, isn't our marketing really good at that? You know, you need this. You, this, you have to have this. This is, this is, you need to, you know, our marketing we watch it on television. We see it all everywhere. You know, they just think, man, if you, de- if you have this, you're going to have a better life. And so we, there's something about new things, isn't there? I mean, just in, within a week, we got in our, in our house a new bathroom vanity. And uh, we had this sort of outdated old vanity that uh, my wife was like, oh, we just got, this is just so dated. We got to get, you know, and I'm like, all right, all right, we'll figure something out. So finally we decided that we're going to do it. You know, we'll get a, get a new vanity, man. And, you know, put the, put the vanity in and, and there's something about that that just sort of makes you feel like you're the man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I really didn't do a whole lot. I just, you know, carried it in and, you know, and, and uh, put it in and hooked up the plumbing, you know, that kind of thing. And, and no, no, nothing really big deal, but there's something about having something new, you know, that just makes you feel, you know, like my, my girls, I told you, I think if you were here last week, I was telling you about my girls who, you know, they're like, Dad, Dad, we want to, you know, we want a room painter. We want a room painted. And, and so I said, I finally, you know, I got to it, you know, last weekend, Labor Day weekend, and so, you know, it's just something about there. It's like, wow, dad, this is like amazing. This looks like a brand new room, you know, and like, they were just so pumped about it, you know. All I did was change the paint color, but I felt like I was the man still. Like, I was like, yeah, that's right. I I did this, you know, that's right. You know, my wife helped too. I want to give her a little bit of credit, Um, but not a lot, Um, but no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So, yeah, there's just something about new, right? I mean, my son, you know, he wanted this, this game, this uh, NBA 2K20. Is that what it is? NBA 2K. My son wanted this game, and so he pre-ordered it. And he saved up, like, like, a, like he only gets money, like, on his birthday, really. And so he's had this money sa- saved up, you know, since April and t- waiting for this game to come out. And so finally this game came out, and, and he's like, Dad, you're going to pick me up from school. And I'm like, I don't want to. And he's like, too bad. You're going to pick me up from school. We're going to go to GameStop, and we're going to get this game. And, you know, so, so I went ahead and got it, you know, before while he was in school, I went, and, went ahead and picked it up, and, and he, came, he couldn't wait. You know, he's just been playing it nonstop. I know I'm a terrible parent, but, you know, judge me all you want. I don't care. You know, he's just playing this game, you know, nonstop. Why? Because this is this new game. It's this new game, you know, that he loved. We all love new things. We all love new things. Jesus was getting ready to introduce something brand new. And they weren't even really fully expecting it. They weren't really ready for what he was about to introduce. But Jesus was going to introduce something that was radical, something brand new that was just absolutely amazing. And he did that by um, introducing something that was old or something that was going to become no longer. And so he introduces this idea. And we're going to pick it up. In the story, it's in Luke chapter 22. If you have a Bible, if you have a digital Bible, you can open up your digital Bible. There's Bibles in your seat around you. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. We want you to take one of our black Bibles if you don't own a Bible, because we think that's important. But in Luke chapter 22, is where we're going to pick it up in the story. Do we have that, Luke 22? There we go. Then came the first day of the unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 8. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. So Jesus simply just sends Peter and John to go and prepare uh, what, what they was very, very familiar with them, something that, that they celebrated, something that was a big deal to, uh, to, to the nation of Israel. It was, was this feast of the Passover or, the, or, this, or what they called it the feast of the unleavened bread. 
And, and this was a huge thing. I mean, thousands and thousands of people would come to the city of Jerusalem to, to celebrate this. And so this is the time of year when, when thousands of people were coming, you know. And I mean, you think you think of it maybe for us like Christmas time, you know, where you have family and friends and relatives that come into town. And, and uh, you know, you make room for them in your home. And they, you know, they stay, sleep wherever because you want to celebrate, you know, Christmas morning together. And so so they, they come into town, thousands of people come into town, and Jesus said, hey, I want to I have this, this meal together. I want us to celebrate this thing together. And so they come in they, and they get it prepared. Now, this was um, not a small task. This was not a small task, similar to some of the things that you might have to do when you prepare for people to come in to town or when you prepare for guests. This was not a small thing. They had to go, and so Peter and John, we know who they were. Peter and John went, and they had to go, and they had to find a, a lamb one year old, unblemished, and then they had to take that lamb that they found, wherever they went to go find that lamb, we don't know. They took that lamb, and they took it then to the temple, and then when they got to the temple, so you gotta, you got to remember, everybody else is doing this too. Everybody else is, is, is having to prepare for the Passover. And so you got to imagine, you know, going out, you know, to a store in a busy time of year, a holiday, you know, and it's just jammed to the gills. Never a good idea, is it? Never a good idea to go to a Costco, right? You know, a couple days before Christmas, you know. It's just never a good idea. And, but they, it was something they had to do. And so they take this lamb and they take it to the temple and they wait in line. Boy, I have a little bit of experience this week. I went to the Secretary of State. Anybody hate the Secretary I mean, it's the, the worst experience in the world. I had to go to, I got there at like 8.30 in the morning. They opened at 9, and I'm waiting in the line outside. And the one, the one, you know, it's just the worst thing in the world. And you have to do it. There was no way around it. You can't avoid it. You know, you just have to do it. And that's what they had to do. They had to take their lamb, and they had to get in line at the temple. And they had to wait in line for the priest to do something that is kind of, graphic, a little gory, but they had to kill the lamb. They had to slaughter the lamb. And so then they finally waited in a long line like you would wait at the Secretary of State, you know, kind of just moving along, you know, and waiting for your number to, for them to call you, you know, and you got to go through the, all that process. They get that. They go through all that. They take their lamb and they take it back to, their, to the home. And it tells us that what happened. It says, in, it says when we pick it up in the story, the next verse, Luke 22 and they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he, that he enters. Verse 11. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? In verse 12. And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And he left. Verse 13. And he left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, here's Jesus. He's telling these guys, go and prepare it. So they go, they, they find a guy. Now, I don't know how this all went down, but it sounded kind of weird, didn't it? Like, find a guy carrying a picture of water, and when you find this guy, follow him into his house. Now, that's, I don't recommend we do that, Unless Jesus tells you to do that physically, verbally, like, like, you know, like if he's here and he tells you, like, then you do that. But otherwise, don't do that. And they find this guy and they, you say, how do they know, you know, who do I, how do I identify this guy? Well, because in that culture, usually, typically, and now this is not me, but this is what happens in this culture. Typically, women carried the water. They carried the water. And so it was unusual for them to see somebody, a man, carrying 
a pitcher of water. And so Jesus said, when you see this, follow them, follow them, follow him into his house. And they, and he, they do. They follow him into this house and they, they tell the guy, Jesus, the Lord teacher is asking us to, you know, use one of your rooms, your upper room, if we could use that. And that's where they prepared it. And they had there, they had, you know, they had their, their, their lamb and they roasted their lamb. They prepared their lamb. They had their, their bread, their unleavened bread. They had their wine, which was all part of the Passover meal. They had their bitter herbs, you know, which, which you know, re- represent, you know, things like lettuce and celery and, and, you know, other things like horseradish roots and other things like that that represented their bitter, bitter roots, which herbs, which represented different things, you know. The unleavened bread represented the sin, you know, that a little bit of sin leaveneth the, or affects the whole, your whole life. The bitter herbs represented where they came from because Passover was, was about being celebrating that they were in captivity, in oppression, in slavery, in Egypt, that Moses came to deliver them out of that captivity, that, that when, they, when they were preparing for Passover, that God told Moses to tell the nation of Israel that they are to slay a, slaughter a lamb and then take the blood of that lamb and put it around the frame of the doors of their house. And then those that do that, those that kill the lamb, put the blood on the door of their house, that the angel, the death angel would come by, the death angel would pass over their house, and everyone in the house would be saved. This was what they were celebrating. This is Passover. This is what they were, they were coming around. This is what they were remembering. This is what they made a big deal about, that God delivered them out of their slavery, that God delivered them out of their oppression, that God delivered them out of their bondage, and he brought them into a better place. And all they had to do was slaughter the lamb. All they had to do was slaughter the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on it. And it was just a reminder. The bitter herbs were a reminder of where they once were, where they once lived, where they once occupied. That's what the bitter herbs reminded them of. And the wine of the, that represent, represented the blood and the unleavened bread represented the fact that they, you know, that God was gonna deliver them from their sin. And this is what they were preparing. This is what they were putting before them as they were about to eat this supper. And then it says in verse 14, it says that when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, I I just want to eat this this before I, you know, suffer, before I go and about about to do what's going to happen to me. You know, and and all of us know that story. All of us know what happened from that point. He says, before I go and before that happens to me, I just desire to have this meal with you, this Passover meal with you and all that it represents. That God took a people, his people out of oppression and into a better place. And then it says in verse 19 in Luke 22, and he says, and when he had taken some bread, he had given thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, the next, he says, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And this was, this was something that was completely radical and, and borderline absurd, what he was saying. That Jesus was doing something brand 
new. Jesus was doing something and introducing something to them that they never even heard of or they never even could think of or thought of. They, he was introducing something that was so radical that if they were really paying attention, they should have gotten up out of the upper room and walked out of the house to never follow Jesus again. That's how radical he was. And what he was saying to them was simply this. You know how we gather together and we commemorate and we celebrate Passover, what happened thousands of years ago with our people when they were in oppression in Egypt and Moses came and delivered them out of this. He says, you know how when thousands of people come into the city and we celebrate this, he said, guys, listen to me. We will no longer do that. Whoa, I mean, this is like, you know what this would be like? This would be like, hey, listen, church, this is what we're going to do this year for Christmas. For Christmas this year, instead of we'll still have the lights and we'll still do the tree thing and we'll still do the present exchanges, but for Christmas this year, it's no longer going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about me. It, it, it would be like if we if, if it went from Christmas and then as a church, we're going to just call it Christmas. Now, it, I know, I know. I'm so clever, ain't I? I just had to take the tea out and it worked so great. If you thought that I was serious... You would get up and leave right now. You're like, whoa, 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 you're crazy. You're like saying that Christmas is no longer about the Christ. Christmas is about you. And if you thought that I, would seri- I was serious, you, would, you should leave. You should be like, man, this guy has lost it. If you thought that I was serious, the deacons would get together and they would have a meeting, you know, and they would pull, set me over to the side and they say, listen, you might need to take a break. I think you're in burnout right now because you're saying some crazy, crazy stuff right now. That's how audacious it was. For Jesus to say, hey, we're no longer observing Passover. When you get together, you're going to be observing me. You're no longer going to celebrate what happened to our people years and years ago and being delivered out of their oppression. You're, no, you're now going to celebrate and honor and remember me instead and what Jesus was saying was Jesus was introducing and he said it he says I'm going to give you a new covenant I'm going to give you in other words I'm going to give you a new promise this is going to be a brand new thing not an extension of an old thing, but a brand new thing, a new promise that I gave to you. This is a promise that is not for a nation. This is a promise that is for the whole world. This is a promise for every single person. I'm going to give you a new promise, and that promise is going to be based around no longer about rules and agendas, and laws and sacrifices of animals no that will no longer be the case that w- this new covenant 
this new promise is going to be based around relationship that you get to have with me. And that relationship is the seal. That relationship is the bond that you need to know what it means to be forgiven of your sins. That an animal won't be a substitute for your sins. That Jesus is saying, I will be the substitute for your sins. You no longer have to come to the temple and wait in line to sacrifice your lamb. I'm the lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. My body will be broken and my blood will be shed once and for all and the end of what was great he says I've come to fulfill it I've come to fulfill it and when I fulfilled it it is finished it is finished and a brand new covenant was established that he introduced a brand new promise that was for every single one of us to say, you, you, sir, you, ma'am, you can have a relationship with the almighty God. Not because you had to figure out how to earn it. That's the old covenant. But because he did the work for you. That's the new covenant. And what Jesus was saying, what they should have heard, what they heard for the first time, what Jesus was saying was, I'm better than Moses. I'm better than the law. I'm better than any sacrifice. I'm better than all of that. You come together and you celebrate me. It's about relationship. And your position and my position has changed in the eyes of God with this new covenant. You're no longer a servant or a slave of sin. That you are now, put your faith in Jesus, you are now a child of God. I don't know about you. You judge me if you want, but I'm a little happy that my kids are back to school. I'm a little excited about that. Sometimes a little bit too much of my kids, you know, like I'm just like, you know, and so my wife and I just decided this summer, like if they get bored and they start whining and complaining, we're like, we're giving you jobs. You're going to have a job. Like if you want to complain, you want to tell me you don't want to listen to that. We're going to just start assigning you jobs. It was amazing. I got the grass cut. I barely cut the grass this summer. Mike, I made my son do it. You know, like the, the you know, different rooms got cleaned a lot. You know, things got picked up. Parents, you should try this tactic. It's a really amazing thing. It will really set them straight, you know, giving them jobs to do. Listen, here's the deal. As irritating as my kids can be sometimes, I'm, I love them regardless. And I don't treat them, I don't treat them like a slave or a servant. You may, you're like, you just made it sound like you do. No, I treat them like they're a child because I love them and I want to teach them responsibility. And I, and I love them in that way. And God loves us in that way too. Listen, there's nothing, there's nothing that my kids can do that will change how much I love them. There's nothing that they can say. There's nothing that they can you know, react to. There's nothing that they will change that I love them. And the reason for that is this, because they're mine. I love them because they're mine. And that's the relationship that you have, what we have in this new covenant that Jesus was introducing. He said, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, 
No matter how far you walk away, no matter what poor decisions that you make, he says, I love you regardless. Nothing can change my love for you, he said. Nothing can take away my love for you, he said. He says, I love you because you're mine. That's the new covenant relationship that we have with God. And just like a marriage relationship, can you imagine if my, and in my marriage, if my wife and I never talked to each other? If we never spent time together, if we never hung out together, if we never, you know, spent quality time and t- t- together, can you imagine how terrible that marriage would be? Well, how, you know how that works for us when our relationship with God, if we never talk to God, if we never spend time with God, if we never, you know, make, make room for God, you know how difficult that relationship could be? If we make it about us in our, in our marriage relationships, if, if it's about us and if it's not about the other person, you know how difficult that relationship could be? This, this covenant is about relationship. This covenant is, is understanding that God says, listen, we are in this together and I'm not going anywhere. You can walk away, but it doesn't change that I love you. You can make poor decisions, but it doesn't change that I love you. But this relationship requires, just like any other relationship, this relationship requires a two-way deal. And God is always going to fulfill his part. God is always going to be there. God is never going to walk away. But it's when we step back, when we walk away, that affects our relationship with God. Come on, draw near to him because this covenant is no longer about rules. In regulations, this covenant is about a relationship. And when we do our own thing and go our own direction and live our life like we think what we think is best for us, we don't break God's rules or commands. That's the old covenant. We just break God's heart. Because that's the new covenant. The covenant that God says, listen, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never walk away from you. We are in this together. You are mine and I am yours. We are together, bound together, yoked together in this new covenant relationship. Don't walk away. You wouldn't do that to a relationship that's healthy. Don't do it with a relationship that you have with Jesus. It's all about him. It's a relationship covenant. Our relationship with Jesus should exceed any relationship that we have. Our relationship with Jesus should be at the first and foremost or the center of every relationship that you have. By the way, when Jesus is at the center of your life, every other relationship will work better. Every other relationship, every responsibility you have will be better. That's what this new covenant that he's introducing to us is all about. He broke his body so that we could have that kind of relationship with a God who loves you who forgives you, who cares for you. He bears your burdens. He walks with you. He guides you. He leads you. He bruised. He was bruised for my iniquities. 
He was wounded for my sin and your sin. He was beaten beyond recognition to pay the penalty of sin for you and for me so that we can have a relationship with him. What great news that is for all of us. So we're going to come around the table together. And I'm going to ask you right now, right here, right where you're seated, right here, right now, bow your heads, if you would, just just to eliminate some distractions, that's all. And I'm going to give you just a moment right here and right now to just reflect on what Jesus has done for you. And then I'm going to invite you when you're ready, when you're ready, to come on up to this table right here, right here, up here in front, to come on up to this table. And we're just going to partake of the bread. So you go up to that table and you just take the bread, the unleavened bread, the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus. You just come up to that table and you take of the bread as a remembrance, as a celebration of what Jesus has done for you, for me, so that we could have a relationship in this new covenant. Father, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for the fact that you were bruised. You took the punishment for us. You were beaten and battered beyond recognition. You were wounded to a point where you, we could never understand. And he took that for us so that the sin debt can be paid. And so that we can, through faith in your son, we can know what it means to be in relationship with a God who loves us no matter what who did the work for us that we couldn't do on our own. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't work hard enough for it. We didn't deserve it. But you gave us grace anyway because you love us. Thank you for your son. I'm going to invite you all to stand if you would. Brent's going to lead us in this song words are up on the screen. I know it's new and but I just want us to come around this this table and I just want us to remember what Christ has done and what he did for every single one of us. Every single one of us. So that we can know what it means to be in relationship with him. I also want to give those an opportunity. I, you know, some of you were, just took the bread, and if, if that's good, you were listening. Some of you didn't take the cup, but I want to give you an opportunity to come and do that if you didn't get a chance to do that at this time. But let's, let's sing this song, and let's just spend a little bit more time reflecting on remembering his broken body and his shed blood. So good to me. You've been so.
Father, we uh, not just recognize the bread, but we recognize the cup, the cup as it represents your shed blood, that it's by your blood that covers up all of our sins, it makes us white as snow, as the song says. Your blood is what paid the debt. It wasn't by silver and gold that we're redeemed, that we're forgiven, that we're set free the slavery of sin but it's by your precious blood that set us free and gave us new life a new hope new purpose a new plan a new relationship a relationship that only allows us to to grow and to become more like you a relationship that allows us to experience more joy in our life, a a relationship that allows us to have more peace and comfort in our life. Because you take on our burdens. You carry it all. God, we thank you for that kind of relationship that we can have with you. And we don't deserve it, but you extended it as a gift of grace. So through faith, we trust you. Through faith, we believe 
through faith we recognize who you are in our life and that every single day every single day and every single moment we need you we need you pray this in Jesus name amen you can partake Jesus wraps up the meal and he gives sort of this last challenge to his guys. He says, guys, I want you to understand something. So I don't know if he took the, the, the pitcher of water that he, you know, that they followed the man into the house. I'm not sure if he took that same pitcher of water, but he grabs some sort of water and towel and He begins to do something that was not unusual. It's a little unusual to us, but not unusual to them. He begins to wash their feet. He begins to wash each one of their feet. And, you know, it's usually as a sign, a sign to the servant in in the home. And, you know, there was nobody assigned to that job. And so I don't know if Jesus was maybe waiting for somebody else to do that and step up and do that, take that role. But Jesus thought, I'm going to use this as an opportunity. And so he takes that pitcher of water and he dips a towel in that water and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples he says and then he makes a statement he says guys listen what I'm what I'm doing for you he says I want you to go and do for others he says just like I'm washing your feet I want you to go and I want you to wash other people's feet I want you to do the same I want you to you know use this as, a, as an analogy I want you to use this as a, as a metaphor And what he gave them was not just a new covenant, but Jesus also gave them a new command. And he gave you and I this command. And he said, you know, this command, he said, this command is something that is, this is the only command that I give you. This is the only rule that I give you. This is the only law that I give you. He says, this is one rule. This is the one thing that I want you to follow. And he said it this way. He says in John chapter 13, He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, even if I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he said this, he said, verse 35, he says, this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He says, guys, listen, listen, I want you to just do this one thing. As we came around this table, and we remember the broken body as we come around this table and we remember the shed blood. He says, guys, I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember how I loved you. And he's telling them this before he actually went to do that. We have the advantage point of knowing what he eventually did by dying on a cross for your sins and for mine. But they didn't have that. All they knew was this, that Jesus just loved them no matter what. No matter their failures, no matter their mistakes, no matter when they stuck their foot in their mouth too many times like Peter did, he says, I'm just going to love you no matter what. Even though they didn't deserve his love, he gave it to them anyways. He says, guys, guys, I want you to love people in the same way I loved you. And he's saying to you and me today, he's saying this. He says, I want you to love people. I want you to love one another. 
because it's not about you know how much you pray or how great your prayers are it's not necessarily even how much scripture you can memorize and it's not even really about how much you attend church he says he says you know what will identify you as a follower of me you know what people will know that you're a christian that you're a jesus follower he says by the way you love one another that's how people will know that's how people will know when you love people when you love on them not the way that you love Jesus said no 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 here's a new commandment he says I want you to love the way that I loved you and the way that Jesus loved you and the way that Jesus loved me is that he gave himself for you and for me there is no other way around that it is a sacrificial kind of love it is a put somebody before you kind of love it is no matter what they do to you no matter how they treat you it is that kind of love that you extend back to them he says that will be the identifier for somebody who is my disciple he says i want to give you a new command to go out into the world and to love people way that I loved you and and then a new community formed after Jesus died on a cross a new community formed and the new community formed not because Jesus died not because Jesus died that's not why the new community formed the new community began to come together and thousands of people all at one time became followers of Jesus, not because Jesus died, even though that's a good reason to to follow Jesus. No, no, no. They came together because Jesus rose from the grave. A new community formed because Jesus said, not only am I going to shed my blood for you, not only am I going to break my body for you, but a new community formed because he appeared after he died. And he showed himself to hundreds of people after he died. He said, listen, I took the sin debt for you. I broke my body for you. I shed my blood for you. And the grave couldn't hold me down. He came up out of the grave and he showed himself to many. And then people go, we see it. We believe it. And we are now a new community in Christ Jesus. And you know what happened? The church formed. The church got together. And you know what the church started doing? The church started loving one another. They started loving one another. They're like, if a guy can die and beat death, I'm going to do what he says to do. And if he's telling me to love one another, I'm going to love one another. And Paul put it in different words, but he was saying it under the same, you know, concept of love. He says, I want you to be a community that is one anothering one another. One anothering one another. He says, I want you to one another somebody. And he put it in different terms. He said things like this. He says, I want you to forgive one another. Do we have that? Forgive? There it is. He says, I want you to forgive. Keep throwing them up there. He says, I want you to encourage one another. He says, I want you to restore one another. He says, I want you to accept one another. He says, I want you to care for one another. He says, I want you to bear burdens one to another. He said, this is the kind of love. This is the community that was formed. Church, that's what we should look like. That's what we should be about. That we should be a people that understand that he broke his body and he shed his blood. 
He was buried in a tomb, but on the third day, he rose from the grave and people saw him. And people put their faith in him. And from that point on, they no longer started celebrating. They no longer, no longer celebrated Passover, but they started celebrating him. Him. They no longer went to church on the Sabbath. They started going to the church on the first day of the week because that's when he resurrected. They, they no longer were sacrificing animals. They were, they were, they were just going and, and, and observing what Jesus did. They were changing to what baptism looked like. People were getting baptized because they identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's sociological changes that took an effect. Why? Because he died and he rose. And a new community was formed. It says in Acts, they look like this. It says in Acts 2. The church began to form, and it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And they began, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know why people were coming into this community? You know why people were getting saved? Because they, they saw a people, they saw a community just loving each other. Just loving each other coming around the teachings of Jesus, praying together, breaking bread together just like we just did, fellowshipping, sharing, loving, loving. Boy, that will change a city. That will change a world. That will change a life. Change a life. It's a new covenant that we live in. That covenant's about relationship, not rules. It's a new command. It's a command to love one another. Not the kind of love that you muster up, but the kind of love that Jesus extended to you and me. It's about being in a community around people who are just loving each other, caring for each other, encouraging each other, forgiving each other, just one anothering, one another. That's the kind of community that God is looking for. And we do that until one day He's coming back again. We do that until one day that the sky is going to open up and he's going to come back in all of his glory and he's taking those who say, I'm with him, I'm in relationship with him, I'm loving like he's loving and we're going back to where he is 
and where he is is an amazing place church where he is is going to be absolutely mind-blowing to every single one of us we're going with him one day back to him now i'm telling you until then we're just going to come around and we're going to eat unleavened bread and we're going to drink you know stale crackers and bread and and outdated juice but one day one day we're going to walk through what he called himself the door and we're going to go through the door into eternity and we're going to have this feast that he calls the marriage feast of the lamb by the way an angel told john hey write this down in your letter write this down blessed is he who is invited to the marriage feast of the lamb one day you and i are going to step into a room somewhere in eternity and we're going to have a feast with him and all of those who decided i'm in relationship all of those who decided i'm just going to love each other we're going to love each other because we're spending eternity with each other. All of those who decided that we're just gonna be a part of this community that just wants to make a difference in the world. It's called the church. And you are that church. So let's go love one another. And let's go make a difference people's lives and do that until the day comes that he takes us home and we celebrate in this great feast that he's preparing for his bride for his bride what a day that will be father We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But you welcomed us into a place where we can know you personally. That we can know that you encourage and you care and you speak into our lives. You give us comfort. You give us rest. tell us that we can lay our burdens at your feet. We can cast all of our cares towards you because you care for us. What a covenant we have. In turn, we start to think about those around us. We think about those in our lives people that we do life with and figure out how do we love them in the way the same way that you loved us you gave the best example you demonstrated it for us God I pray that as a community around the teachings and the truth of your word 
as a community that prays for each other, as a community that fellowships together, as a community that comes together and breaks bread together, I just pray, God, that you just send us out and you empower us to go and just to love people in that way that you demonstrated for for us. Until the day comes that you come back again and you take us out of this world and you make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and we get to celebrate in this feast that you prepare for those who put their faith and their trust in you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that love and that grace. I pray that you be with each person here today. I pray, Lord, that they make themselves and they dive into this community, the kind of community that you want us to be. And we dive fully into that because that's what you've created us for. That's why you put breath in our lungs. You put put that in there for us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Hope to see you back next week.